You are listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org. Good morning, everyone. Come on, you can do better than that. Good morning, everyone. Great to see all of you watching online here today as well. My name is David, and it's my privilege to be able to conclude this two-week series that we began last weekend that we've entitled Flipping the Switch. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn to Luke chapter 19. It's in the New Testament, last half of um, your Bible. It's one of the four Gospels, the four stories of Jesus' life from Luke's perspective after he had thoroughly investigated the claims of Christ. So we'll get there in just a few moments, as you just saw in the video there today. And as Jay uh, mentioned, today is one day to feed the world. And I'll explain how we're going to experience that together. We take one day's wage and we set it aside to bless and invest uh, other in others' lives around the world. So we're going to do that. That's basically the application of what we're going to be talking about here this morning. So we're in this two-part series entitled Flipping the Switch, and this is all about that moment when we shift, when there is a switch that is flipped within us from the temporal or the temporary to the eternal. And this year's theme is Kingdom Come. It's the reality of God's rule and his relationship in our world, and we are in this series storing treasures in heaven. That's really what we're trying to focus in on is people who are kingdom subjects, a part of this kingdom. And so this idea of flipping the switch and moving from the temporary to the eternal is something that Jesus talked about all of the time. It's another, the other idea here is we step out of darkness and into light and into the light of Christ. And so I want to share with you something that happens to me regularly. Don't know if any of you here in the room or online will be able to... um, relate to this or not, but this happens to me regularly, particularly when Amy and I go and stay in an Airbnb. Anybody ever done that before? Let me see your hands. You go in and you stay somewhere. This is when this usually happens, and this is how it usually goes down. We get into a place. The first morning that we're there, I'm up at the crack of dawn. Who's with me? I'm up at 5 a.m. Can't help it. Even though I want to sleep in, I'm up at 5, 5.30. It's pitch black. Amy is sound asleep. Can you hear the train coming? I go into the kitchen to make my cup of coffee. Maybe it's a pot. Maybe it's a K-cup. I don't know what it's going to be, depending on where we're at. And I go in, and I look at the kitchen, you know, somewhere in the kitchen. And invariably, most places, it feels like these days, there are three switches. And I have the spiritual gift of managing to nail the actual light the third try. The first try, invariably is the garbage disposal. And at 5 or 5.30, and I'm like, ah, he's going to be mad. And then, of course, there's a fan, and I have a 50-50 shot left, still standing in the dark, flip the switch, it's the fan. So by default, then, I try the third one. Now, Amy has this uncanny gift of being able to walk in, first time, flip the light on. Even if it's just, I don't even know how she knows it, but she just knows it somehow, some way. I need help every time I go in to try to figure out this first time how to flip the switch. The story that we're going to look at today is of a man who needed help to flip the switch. He was in darkness. This was a man who was searching for something more in life. In fact, I would submit to you that the man that we're going to study today 
was wrestling with a question that probably all of you, or certainly I have as well, have wrestled with or will wrestle with throughout the course of our lives. And it's this question. When is enough enough? When do I have enough in the bank account? When do I have enough of the house or of the cars or of the career or of the income or of the groceries or of the clothes or of the shoes or of the shoes or of the shoes or of the shoes? When do I have enough cats, Melissa? How do you know when you have enough? When is enough enough? And this guy that we're looking at here today he was actually hated by his people. You've heard us talk about him. His name is Zacchaeus. And he was a wee little man. And a wee little man was he. Every pastor has to make that little joke. In fact, how many of you would like to have Pastor Jay come and sing that song for us this morning? <laughs> that would be awesome. It's not gonna happen, but I really would love for it to happen. So Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. He wasn't just a tax collector. He was a chief tax collector, which meant he oversaw other tax collectors. And he was a Jewish man who had turned on his own people. And he was collecting taxes on behalf of Rome. And he was building his wealth. And he was building his wealth. But something deep down inside of him gnawed at him because he had a very dysfunctional relationship with money. In fact, I would submit to you that perhaps as we read through this story, we may just see that Zacchaeus was racked with some guilt, with some shame over money, how he earned it, how he managed it, how he abused it, how he hoarded it. Again, he had this terrible, horrible, awful relationship with money. Now, you may be able to relate to this. Maybe you don't relate to this. But no matter where you are, if you've wrestled with that question, when is enough enough, we're gonna see something happen in fact, we're going to see that there are two switches that are flipped for Zacchaeus. We're going to see how Jesus became not only enough for Zacchaeus, he became more than enough. And that's my hope and my prayer for all of us today. So if you would, you can join us at home if you'd like. In the honor of God's word, I'm going to invite you to stand with me. I'd love to have you do this when we're reading the scriptures, and we're going to read this story. You can just follow along, but just in honor of God's word, beginning in verse 1, Luke chapter 19. Jesus entered Jericho. Uh, I posted some stuff in our private Facebook group this morning about Jericho. I was there about a year and a half, two years ago. It's northeast of Jerusalem, and he's passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was, help me out, wealthy. He was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was. But because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must. Let's just pause there. I must. Not I probably should. Hey, could I? This is a, this is, he's serious about this. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. Now, before we continue reading, I just want to invite you to put yourself into this story. Imagine you're waking up and you're Zacchaeus, and every day you know that you're hated, you're despised, 
You could fear for your life at times because of your job and because what you were leveraging on this oppressed people group that were actually your people, you're working for the government that is despised and you're going to work that day just like every day and then you hear that this rabbi, this teacher is coming into town. I wonder what it was like for Jesus the morning that he woke up knowing that he was going to head into Jericho to change a man's life, to help a man step out of the temporary and into the eternal, to step out of darkness and into light. I wonder if he looked up at Peter when they first were getting up and saying, this guy, he's about to get everything changed today. And on the way from that moment at the tree to the house, I wonder what happened. I wonder what the conversation was like. I wonder what the, what the conversation was like on the way there and then at dinner. I wonder who they stepped over on the way from that tree to Zacchaeus' house. I wonder what poor beggar. I wonder what overlooked person. I wonder what under-resourced individual or family they just passed right on by. And perhaps Jesus stopped and he continued to minister on the way. We don't know. We don't have those details. But I wonder if something began to happen in Zacchaeus' heart. We're going to see what happened here in just a moment. Look at what happens next. All the people saw this and they began to mutter. They began to grumble. They began to judge. They began to to, um, protest what was going on here because they despised this guy. And it was unthinkable that a pure, holy Jewish rabbi would interact with such a sinner. He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. And the truth is, if Jesus comes to my house, he's not going to be saying he's gone to be the guest of a pastor. He's going to say he's a guest of a sinner, just like us all. We're all in the place of Zacchaeus. Maybe our lives aren't the exact same. Maybe our wealth is not the exact same. Maybe our dysfunctional relationship with money isn't the exact same. But we're all like Zacchaeus in need of a switching, a flipping of the switch. Look at what it says next. But Zacchaeus at dinner stood up and he said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Before you have a seat, look at the person next to you, wave across the aisle, and say, Happy Thanksgiving. You can have a seat. So when Zacchaeus climbed the tree that day, he had absolutely no idea what was about to happen. He was headed for a life-changing encounter, a moment with Jesus. He needed a power greater than himself to help him flip the switch and get out of that soul-damaging relationship that he had with money, where his sense of self-worth and where his identity were tied to his level of income and to his savings account. Zacchaeus, as I said earlier, is someone who may be the only one in all of Scripture who experienced two flipping of the switch moments with Jesus on the same day at the same meal. There is a spiritual switch that is flipped in his life that day. He is reconciled spiritually to God. 
Jesus says today's salvation has come to this house. There is a moral aspect to what happens here. There, is, there have been sinful patterns in his life. There have been behaviors that have been less than God-honoring. His heart is broken. But in this moment, salvation comes to Zacchaeus. He is redeemed. He is reconciled. He is made right with his God in this moment. There's a spiritual switch that is flipped. And just as much as Zacchaeus needed that, I need that. You need that. Those of you watching online need that today as well. We all need that spiritual switch to be flipped. But there's also a financial switch that occurs here. There is a financial reconciliation that occurs between Zacchaeus and his heavenly father and the people that are around him. He repents from the past financial sin. He confesses honestly how he has been on a terrible track as it relates to his resources that have led to deep feelings of guilt and shame and regret. And I think it's very interesting I think we begin to see here that perhaps as he's on his way and maybe he's seeing Jesus or maybe he's beginning to hear about these other interactions that Jesus has with those who are overlooked, those that are poor, those that don't have enough. And he begins to realize just how important those people are to Jesus and became deeply concerned in this moment as he's having dinner with his Savior that he should have also been as concerned about his response to those who were in need around him as Jesus was. And Jesus is inviting us today, not just today, but every day to have that same perspective, to have that same awareness, to have that same heart for those around us who are in need. And he feels the immediate need to make up for a lifetime of hoarding. Look at what he says again in verse eight. Look, Lord, here, right here, and right now, I give half of my possessions to the poor. Here in this verse, uh, Zacchaeus is a guy who knows the Hebrew scriptures and he knows the Old Testament law. And when you were um, caught, so to speak, or when you became aware that you had wronged someone else in a financial way, there were laws that talked about and taught about restitution. He takes this and he takes it way beyond that because of the moment that he's having, this financial switch that is being flipped. He says, I'm going to give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, okay, let's be honest. It's when, not if for him, okay? He's in progress, okay? Let's give him a little bit of slack, all right? He knows good and well he's cheated some people out of some things. I will pay back four times the amount. Two thoughts I want to pull out of this, and then we have an opportunity to respond today. The first one is this. When the switch is flipped, Jesus becomes enough. When that spiritual switch is flipped, when the financial switch is flipped, Jesus becomes enough. And my prayer for us has been that we'll not only have a spiritual transformation with Jesus, but we'll also experience a financial transformation no matter where we are in our spiritual journey, when Jesus becomes enough, we have the opportunity to grow in, in our generosity. When Jesus becomes enough, we have an opportunity to move. We, we all begin with what we would call here at River, Riverside, spontaneous givers. Perhaps that's where you find yourself here or online today as well. You're one of those folks that would say, I am a spontaneous giver. In other words, you see the need, 
you hear the need, you become aware of the person's situation. Maybe it's their, their house is burned down and there's an opportunity. Maybe it's a homeless situation with somebody there. Maybe it's someone uh, who doesn't have enough at Thanksgiving or enough at Christmas or they've lost their job or they've had the diagnosis and you want to go and spontaneously, you want to grow in that. And that's a great place to start. But as followers of Jesus who are living in the kingdom, we're invited to not just stay at the level of a spontaneous giver. We're invited to begin to move into a strategic style, a strategic type of a giver, to where we pick a percentage. This is what the scriptures teach over and over again, that we as followers of Jesus living in the kingdom now, we're to pick a percentage. And that percentage is always starting at a 10% tithe, if that's a new terminology for you. It's simply, I, I am dependent upon God and I'm gonna trust him with the first 10% of what he has given me and I'm gonna give that, I'm gonna return that to him. Actually, the scripture teaches us that we never actually give our tithe, we return our tithe we, because it belongs to him. And so you pick that percentage and you begin there and you say, okay, I wanna be a spontaneous giver. I wanna move into being a strategic giver where I'm gonna have to trust God for more to help me with, to live on that 90% that I would be able to on the 100%. And then we have this great joy, this honor of moving into sacrificial types of givers, types of generosity. This is simply, I've, pickin', I've, pickin', <clears throat> I've picked my strategic number, I've picked my percentage, and then I'm giving on top of that spontaneously. So I tithe, I pick that percentage giving, I live in that 90% world, and then I, on top of that, spontaneously, with a one day to feed the world offering or whatever it might be, I do that and I live in that sacrificial experience of giving. And here's the thing about God. He is the quintessential giver and we are never more like our heavenly father than when we are generous, than when we are givers. The scriptures teach us, Jesus said, for God so loved the world that he gave. And that love compels us to be generous. And that's exactly what's happening in the heart of Zacchaeus that day. Don't know if you've ever thought about this or not. This applies to a lot of different areas of life. But Jesus died and was resurrected first and foremost to bring salvation, to bring healing to our broken world and to us as individuals and to our world as, as a collective. But it didn't just stop there. He died and was resurrected in part so that you and I could be freed from an ongoing, tormented, dysfunctional relationship with fill in the blank. Today, we're focused on our resources with money. And if you're a kingdom subject, but you've never experienced the financial reconciliation regarding money. I want to invite you today to flip the switch in your heart and begin storing up treasure in heaven. Jesus said that we can't serve both him and money and our resources. They just don't go together. And so as kingdom subjects, we're invited, we're empowered by the Holy Spirit it requires trust. It requires faith. It requires stretching. But there is nothing like the joy of living as a sacrificial kingdom subject, living in his kingdom. And if the power of God has not yet broken the power of money in your life, or if the love of God did not cleanse the shame and the guilt in your life about how you've handled money, 
then you need, and I've been praying that you would be freed from that guilt by allowing the Holy Spirit to fully reconcile you to God financially. If Jesus is not yet enough, then today is decision time for us all. Second thought I want to share with you is that when the switch is flipped, we are freed from guilt and shame. We're freed from guilt and shame. I did not come today to guilt anyone or to shame anyone. But I'm going to ask you to be honest. Who besides me, I want you to play online here today as well. Who besides me has regret at some point over how you've handled your money? You've made a stupid purchase, a stupid mistake. Come on now, you can hold it up. It's okay, God knows. All right, yeah, we've all got some regrets along the way here or there. But we don't have to live under that shame. We don't have to live under that regret any longer. Wouldn't it be great? Would it, what would it be like to be free to properly handle money the way that God wants you to? Free from that embarrassment, free from that guilt, free from that shame, free from, I've literally heard Christians talk about this idea of the self-loathing that they have because of the relationship that they've had toward money. What would it be like to no longer feel overwhelmed by financial matters? And in a year that has been so difficult, my heart has broken so many times over these last several months as we've heard of folks who have been impacted by all that's going on in our world now and job loss and financial difficulty. And I just want to say thanks to all of you who have given to the Pandemic Emergency Fund. We've been able to help a lot of families as a result of that. What happens internally when Jesus becomes enough? How does that spiritual and that financial flipping of the switch actually happens. And I want to submit to you that it actually happens much the same way that a spiritual transformation occurs. Interestingly enough, over in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 16, there was a law enforcement guy who asked the apostle Paul, who was actually in prison at the time, said, hey, how do I spiritually flip the switch? What must I do to be reconciled to God, to be saved. And this was Paul's answer, Acts 16, 31. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be, help me out, you will be saved. You will be saved. You'll be transformed. The spiritual switch will flip. Believe, that simply means a saving faith and a trust in Jesus. It doesn't just, believe, doesn't just mean that he, that he existed, the scriptures say that the demons even believe that he existed. This is, I'm taking all of my guilt, all of my shame, all of my embarrassment, all of my mistakes, all of my mess, and I'm going to trust, I'm going to put the full weight of all of that on Jesus. And I'm going to sit in his presence that's when that moment happens, when the switch is flipped. That's the spiritual side of it. But the same thing happens financially for us as well. When we trust Jesus, when he becomes enough, there begins to become some evidence that you have had that financial switch flipped. And I want to share with you five evidences, so to speak, if you will. Five things that have helped me. These were taught to me by my parents. 
I've heard them many times in various ways. But if you're wondering, hey, where, where, do I, where am I in this journey? Is Jesus enough when it comes to the resources that I've been entrusted with? I want to share with these, things, these things with you. And I want to just say from the get-go, before we start into this, just briefly this list, we're all in process. We're all trying to head in the godly direction here. No one has arrived And so again, I didn't come to guilt or shame. I came to give you some practical handles to hang on to, to know how you're doing and growing as a generous kingdom subject today. I also want to share with you that these are incredibly important to pass on to your children and to your grandchildren so that the next generation, wouldn't it be awesome if our kids and our grandkids didn't have to have shame and guilt and embarrassment over how they've handled their resources because as kingdom subjects who, are, who have decided that Jesus is enough, these things would be true of us and we would then be able to pass them on so that they wouldn't have a ton of heartache. Wouldn't that be amazing? When Jesus is enough, number one in your notes, I believe that all I have has come by my my way by God's generosity toward me. I believe that all that I have has come my way because of God's generosity toward me. This is where this idea of dependence and provision come from God. As kingdom subjects, we are taught to pray. Jesus taught us to pray in the same prayer that he taught us to pray, your kingdom come and your will be done. He also taught us to pray, give us today our daily bread. And so we go to him and we say, God, I believe with all that I am, I am convinced and I will live in this reality because Jesus, you are enough. I will believe that all that I have comes from you. The clothes that I'm wearing, the car that I'm driving, the house that I live in, the job that I have, the spouse that I have, the children that I have, the grandchildren that I have, the mask I'm wearing, you even provided. (laughs) All of it comes by way of his generous hand toward me. Number two, when Jesus is enough, I live joyfully. I don't just survive, I live joyfully within God's current provision for my life. My friends, this is where contentment starts to really enter into our relationship with God. Because debt, simply put, is this is the current level of provision in my life. I would like some more. And I'd like some more. And I'd like some more. And God invites us when Jesus is enough as kingdom subjects to say, I'm going to live not just begrudgingly, but I'm going to find joy. This is where joy is not attached to our circumstances. Joy finds its fulfillment in Christ. We're hidden with Christ in God. And so we live joyfully in the current level of provision that God has given us. And we don't compare ourselves to others. What happens is, as we start to compare, we start to envy, we start to be full of jealousy, and why, and what if, and that is not the vocabulary of a follower of Jesus when we get this right. Is this easy? No, it's not. Do we struggle with comparison every day? Yes, but there's no win in comparison. So we joyfully live within current provision for our lives. Number three. I honor God 
by returning the first 10% of all I earn to him for his purposes, because he is a faithful God. The scriptures teach over and over and over again that the way that we honor God is to put him first. And as I mentioned earlier, if everything is his already, we don't give our tithe, we return our tithe. Because I can't give something away that's not mine to begin with. So we return that and we say, God, I'm gonna trust you. But what about, or I'm worried about, yes. But Jesus says, go first. Seek the kingdom first. Put him first. Honor him first. And then watch all these things, the stuff that you're worried about, food, clothing, shelter. Jesus said, God's got your back. Well, God, I'd really like for you to go first. (laughs) He says, no, this is one way that you can unequivocally prove that God exists is you trust him with this. You trust him in being that strategic giver and watch him provide over and over and over again. You're saying, David, I'm so far away from that, I wouldn't even know where to begin. We have multiple people in this church who are glad to meet with you and talk to you about this. Free of charge, totally confidential. You can email us at the church or email me directly and I will help pair you up with that person, that group of people that can help you to sit down with your resources to say, how do I begin to move from my dysfunctional relationship with money? How do I begin now to move to a place where I could actually have a good relationship and have joy and enjoy this world? It's also available to you through Financial Peace University, which we've been currently offering this semester. Great ways to begin to figure out how to get from where you are today to where you could be honoring God in that arena. Number four, I save for emergencies, for giving opportunities, and my later years. Now, scriptures are so clear on this. We gotta use wisdom. We don't put our our hope in wealth. Jesus said, don't put your hope in wealth. Scriptures say over and over again in the Proverbs, if you put your hope in wealth, you'll be disappointed. It will fail you. But there's also something to be said for saving and being wise, being prepared for emergencies, for giving opportunities like one day. In fact, if you say, oh, I wish I could afford to be able to give one day's offering today, start this week in preparation for next year. And you'll be ready when it comes. You can get these giving opportunities, these spontaneous opportunities, and then you save for the later years. Jesus is enough, but you also partner with him in wisdom to figure all of this out. Number five, I listen each day for whispers from the Holy Spirit regarding my resources, regarding ultimately his resources. And this comes down to obedience, This comes down to I'm living strategically. I've picked my percentage. I'm looking for the opportunities to be sacrificial. I'm listening every day. Holy Spirit, what might you be saying to me about my interaction with him, with with them, with her, or when we have these needs that we have these giving tree opportunities to bless the kids, or one day, or the food banks, or the clothing drives, and all the different ways that we do this at a corporate level, but also at a personal level. You're listening every day. Holy Spirit, all that I have is yours. I've already returned to you that which belongs to you, but now I have the joy because I'm living within margin. I have the joy of looking for the opportunity to invest in something that will make an eternal difference, that will ultimately store resources, store treasures in heaven. 
Here's the thing. I found this to be true for 48 years of my life, that your heavenly father will have your back on these matters. He will take care of you as you are spiritually reconciled to him and as you are financially reconciled to him. It's decision time. Is Jesus enough? Can you say to the Lord, yes, yes, Lord, you are enough. And to help you wrestle through that, I've put questions in the app notes today. I'm not going to take time to read them all, but they're there for you to ponder, to pray through, to go home and talk with your, the people in your home. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's your significant other. Maybe it's your kids. And you're going to sit down and you're going to talk about this because it's so important to be able to pass on to the next generation. So last week, for those of you that are here in the room, we gave you the brochures, we gave you the envelopes. Maybe you got those as you were coming in. Today is an opportunity for you to be able to take the envelope and it's very clearly marked one day to feed the world. And, and at the end of our service together, there'll be buckets for you to be able to take them out and give there. If you don't have an envelope like this, there are envelopes in the chairs there in front of you. You can use those and just mark on them one day to feed the world. Again, buckets in the back on your way out. We're not in a season where we're passing buckets. For those of you that are here as well, you can go to riversideconnect.org slash give, and there's a drop-down menu there, and you can see the one-day spot and click and be able to do that. For those of you watching online, that's the easiest way for you to be able to participate today. You can text to give. There is a giving kiosk if you're here in the building there. You can mail it in this week if you would like to do that. We want to be able to tell you next weekend on Thanksgiving um, what you've uh, what you've been able to give and what you've returned to be able to celebrate and give thanks for what God has done. Now, for those of you who have no idea who Convoy of Hope is and what this is all about, we again, that video at the beginning kind of showed it, but we want to share with you a story. It's Catherine's story for you to be able to see and understand and put together what it is that you're giving toward today as we spontaneously give in these next few moments. So I'm gonna invite you to direct your attention to the screen. And before we show the video, for those of you watching online, I know you might be tempted to jump off, but I wanna encourage you to stick around right after the video's over. We're gonna pray. And then I'm gonna share with you some extremely important information that you're gonna to wanna to hear about the next several weeks here at Riverside and how we're gonna wrap up 2020. So, Take what you have if you're going to give today and your regular giving. You can give online as well. Maybe it's an envelope, but just begin to use these moments as we watch this video to pray and ask the Holy Spirit what he wants to do to help you to have a spiritual flipping of the switch as well as a financial flipping of the switch. Thank you for listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org.